0: Okay, Revelation chapter 2, we're actually going to finish Thyatira. Believe it or not, we've spent several weeks on this church. Jesus did bring a pretty serious indictment against this church because they'd allowed themselves to be seduced and led astray by that false prophetess, Jezebel. We don't know if that's really her name or if that's what Jesus calls her because of that spirit of Jezebel that uh, she was exemplifying, hearkening back to the Jezebel of the Old Testament, who was really, uh, King Ahab was the king, but she was really running the show. And uh, she led the people away from the worship of Yahweh, the one true God, to the worship of Baal, or Baal as some people call him. And so this Jezebel in the church of Thyatira was leading many of the believers astray into false teaching, into liberality, uh, sexual immorality, and so forth. And Jesus brings a strong indictment against this church, but then he ends it with an, a word of encouragement, words of encouragement to the faithful remnant of that church. We left off last time, I believe, in verse 26, but I want to go back and read 24 through 29, get us into our context. So verse 24, Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, the doctrine of Jezebel, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say. Now this is interesting. I want to stop and comment on this for a moment. Jesus is saying that those in the church who had embraced these false teachings and false doctrines were actually exploring the depths of Satan. And we talked about this last time where Paul warns Timothy uh, in Second Timothy chapter 4, about doctrines of demons. And we talked about the fact that that's not really talking about Satanism or witchcraft, that type of thing. That's pretty obvious and pretty blatant. But according to Paul, to Jesus, to the New Testament writers, when we deviate from the truth of God's Word and from sound doctrine, we actually become involved in the doctrines of demons. Anything that leads us away from the truth of God's Word into false beliefs. People are beginning to know the depths of Satan. Satan's greatest deception is not bringing people into Satanism and witchcraft. That's a terrible thing, and it does devastate people's lives, but most people would never venture off into that area. There certainly are those who do, but as we've talked about over the last several weeks, many people are vulnerable to false teachings that purport to be the truth. As I mentioned, the Mormon church and how they teach there was no true church on the earth until the 1800s when Joseph Smith rose up and found these magical plates and they brought forth the Book of Mormon. See, that's the enemy's greatest tool and strategy is to mix a little bit of truth in with a lot of lies people are much more vulnerable to that. You walk up to the average person on the street and say, hey, why don't you come and worship Satan with me? They're going to probably reject that idea. But if you tell them that they can know God better, more deeply, more intimately, and I can show you how, just come with me. It's it's kind of a well-kept secret here, but I'll show you the way if you'll follow me. That is the greatest danger of all. So who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. And we talked about that last time, that Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When men get involved and they start bringing all their own man-made doctrines into the picture, people get put under bondage, they get put under legalism, or they go the other way like Jezebel and her followers and they go into antinomianism against the law, do whatever you want. And that is very prevalent today in the church that you don't have to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. You can pretty much do whatever you want. Don't worry about it. You still get to go to heaven. These are all dangerous teachings. I will put on you no other burden. And so God only gave us two things to do in the New Testament, take communion and be baptized. That's it. All the other stuff is man-made doctrine, which has been brought into the church. Obviously, we have guidelines in the scriptures of how we're to live. But as far as all these other man-made rituals and so forth, God didn't put that burden on us. I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. That's a very important point that we also covered last time. Holding fast to what we have. We have the Holy Bible, the scriptures, the truth of God's word to guide us and direct us. We have salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead on the third day. We have to Hang on to the foundations of our faith. How long? Jesus says, until I come. Your testimony is not just what happened 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago when you received Christ. Your testimony is ongoing. What is happening in your life now? What is God doing in your life now? Where are you at with God right now? That is holding on to what you have until he comes. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you as we continue on in this study of Revelation. Father, sadly, many have said we should not study this book. It's too confusing. It's too hard to understand. It's too divisive, Lord, but you wouldn't have put it in your word unless you wanted us to study it. In fact, it is your final statement to this world leading up to the return of your son, Jesus Christ. And you promised a special blessing for those who would read it, hear it, and follow it. We ask you to bless this study this morning. Lord, speak to our hearts. Continue to Equip us, prepare us for works of service and for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 26. And he who overcomes. So again, make note, we see this over and over again in this passage, chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. The promise of blessing, folks, is to those who overcome. That's why this doctrine of once saved, always saved, which is a Calvinistic teaching, is not healthy because it leads people to believe that all they have to do, and my good buddy, Pastor Brian Davis, really gets worked up over this one. All they have to do is pray a one-time sinner's prayer and you're good to go. That is the first step. The Bible refers to it as being born again, just like a baby is born into this world physically. And by the way, I don't know how many of you watched the Republican National Convention this past week. If you didn't, you missed out on a historical event, I want to tell you. I have never seen a more powerful, dynamic, profound, straightforward presentation of Christianity and pro-life than I saw in this convention in a political setting. I don't know if you saw the nun. She was a former army surgeon, officer in the army. Then she, after she got out of the military, she took her vows as a nun, and one of her statements was, I'm not only pro-life, I'm pro-eternal life. There was another lady uh, who had risen to the upper echelons of Planned Parenthood. Did you see her? She shared her testimony of how she did a complete 180. She was asked to assist a physician in an abortion, and it was being monitored on the ultrasound. She could see everything as it was happening. And as the suction began, she saw the baby physically pulling away and trying to avoid the suction. And she realized at that moment, wait a minute, this isn't right. This is a person. And she completely renounced, disavowed Planned Parenthood, and she's now an avid pro-lifer. Powerful dynamic. And there was so much of that stuff in, in this convention. and Of course, the media has done everything they could to try to totally denounce, destroy, degrade what took place. But again, we're seeing an ever-increasing, starker contrast between one side and the other. This is not about politics. This is a spiritual battle, folks, between light and darkness. And as always, the devil points the finger at the other side when he's actually the one doing the bad stuff. Isaiah prophesied that there would come a time when people would call good evil and evil good. We're living in that time where people actually call pro-life evil and they call abortion good because it's for women's health. That's the biggest lie from the pit of hell I've ever heard. There's nothing healthy, ladies, about getting an abortion. Many women's lives have been destroyed by it, both physically, mentally, emotionally. And by the way, what about the baby's health? Hello? But they call good evil and evil good. They call traditional biblical heterosexual marriage evil, and they call homosexual marriage good. They call a biological definition of gender evil, And they call identifying as anything you want to identify as and get whatever changes you need to get made in order to make that happen. They call that good. I was sharing with my cousin this morning. Chuck Missler was here. He's with the Lord now. It's got to be at least 10 years ago. I don't know how many of you were here then, but Chuck came and spoke when we were still having church in the other building. And he identified the time we're living in as the age of deception, which I totally agreed with. But then you've probably heard me say, I think we've gone beyond the age of deception. We're now in the age of insanity. And I've told you repeatedly, and I don't doubt for a moment that this is true. An ongoing lifestyle of unrepentant sin makes you go crazy. You will literally lose your mind, and that's what's happened to a large percentage of people in this country today. When you continue to ignore and reject God and His truth, His Son Jesus Christ. You remember King Saul? He went nuts. He was vexed by an evil spirit from the Lord. And the only time that evil spirit would leave him is when David would go in and worship in Saul's presence. Worship is powerful, folks. By the way, we do start at 10 o'clock with worship. (laughs) And it's not just a warm-up for the teaching. We put a high value on worship here. And so does God. Did you know in the book of Psalms it says, that he and God inhabits the praises of his people, we shouldn't take the worship portion of the service lightly. We should all be here for worship. So just a little gentle reminder there. I was Something else I was thinking about this morning. <laughs> and then again, as I've told you so many times, it's not even difficult. You can break it down to where anyone can understand it. God is pro-life, Satan is pro-death. The thief, John 10.10, comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And all of those out there, all those peaceful protesters, if you don't agree with them, in the name of peace, they're ready to take your life. So whose side might they be on? And whose side might be those who support them on? Those who all of a sudden, after months have finally said, well, yeah, the violence is wrong. We shouldn't do that. After the RNC, after the, the pro-liberal media said, well, gosh, the polls are shifting here. Maybe we better talk about this. All of a sudden, one tiny little comment. Yeah, we, we don't support violence and so forth. Baloney. They've supported in every liberal city in America. And then if you try to defend yourself, you get arrested calling evil good and good evil. And I'm telling you what, we are going to be called upon to take a stand. And somebody the other day said, you better be careful, pastor. It sounds like you're promoting violence. No, I'm not. I'm just saying we have to stand for the truth. Now, wherever that leads us, we have to be willing to go. Have you ever heard of the American Revolution? Huh? Oh, but we don't want to go there again. No, we don't. But what if we have to? Did you hear what he just said? Uh, Freedom is never free. It's paid for with the blood of bold and courageous men and women. I don't want to bleed. And I'm not in any sense, shape or form saying that that's what's going to happen or what needs to happen. I'm just saying If there's anything that you're not willing to do to stand for the truth, then I think that's a problem. I don't think you're an overcomer. I think an overcomer, as we're going to see as we move on in this teaching, an overcomer stands firm to the end. We don't cave in. We don't compromise. We want to show people the love of God, right? The love of Christ. It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. But at the same time, we can't just sit back and let evil prevail, I don't think. I don't think that's what God's called us to do. And so we have an opportunity. We need to be in prayer. We need to be standing firm against the lies of the enemy. Sadly, many people have been deceived. And we need to pray for them. And as we have opportunity to lovingly and as gently as possible, share the truth with them, whether they receive it or not. That's up to God. That's up to them. But we have a responsibility as well. Can't wait to see the emails and texts and so forth after this. But you know what? The other side is already saying this is a revolution. They want to tear it down, burn it down. They're already, they've, already, they've already laid out the ground rules. This is a revolution. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We have the power of prayer. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of God's Word. Those are weapons that no other weapon can stand against. No weapon fashioned against us will prosper. Amen? Okay. He who overcomes. So the promise of blessing, folks, is to those who overcome, those who stand firm, resist, persevere against false teaching, against the temptation to fall into a works mentality, uh, while forsaking their first love, like the church of Ephesus. This is what it means to be an overcomer. Now, this can also be translated, by the way, he that conquers. He who overcomes, or he that conquers. And again, as we've talked about so many times, what do we call to conquer or to overcome? The world, the flesh, the devil. And they're all in cahoots. Romans 8, 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors through him who loved us. We have the victory in Christ. We need to remember that. And keeps my works until the end, or does my will to the end. So again, I started to talk about this once saved, always saved doctrine that leads people to believe, well, once I've prayed that sinner's prayer, I'm good to go. Then it doesn't really matter from that point on what I do. I can live whatever life I want to live because I'm already guaranteed a place in heaven. Really? I don't know. Jesus said the blessings, the promises are for those who overcome, those who endure. The mark of a true believer is a lifestyle of obedience to God. Does that mean perfection? No. We will never be perfect in this life. We are sinners saved by grace. In our studies in the book of Romans, we saw that duality, the old man versus the new man, the flesh versus the spirit. We will battle that for the rest of our lives. But it's it's the, the commitment and the determination to live a lifestyle of obedience to God and then when we fall short, which we inevitably will, we make sure that we're quick to confess our sins, to repent before Him. That's how we maintain a right relationship with God. Rather than just going through life accidentally obeying God once in a while our goal should be to obey him as much as we possibly can knowing that when we fall short his love, his grace, his mercy and his forgiveness will be there to cover our sins Matthew 24, 13, he who stands firm to the end Jesus talking now, he who stands firm to the end will be saved, so what is the implication there? you could then logically conclude he who does not stand firm to the end will not be saved. Now again, God has the final say, doesn't he? On who's saved and who isn't. Who is allowed to enter his eternal kingdom and who is not. It's not our place to make that determination. We don't have the right or the authority to do that. But based upon what Jesus is saying, I think we should all be very concerned about standing firm to the end. The devil would love to have people believe, well, now that you've been saved, you're good to go. Party on. I can't believe there's a new Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure movie coming out. <laughs> Party on. Those guys are older than dirt now. That should be pretty pretty funny. Pretty funny. I'm sure Nick will enjoy it. Where is he? <laughs> I don't know why Nick just seems like kind of a Bill and Ted kind of a guy. Matthew 7:21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. By the way, Lord means master. Did you know that? When you call Jesus your Lord, that means you're acknowledging him as your master, which again would imply obedience, right? If you have a master, then you are to be obedient to that master. Paul said, I'm a bondservant or a bondslave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, unlike others in this world, who seek to deliberately enslave you. And by the way, again, it's always the ones who are pointing the finger at you and saying, you're a racist, you're a bigot. Guess who's really the racist and the bigot? It's the one pointing their finger. And there's evidence, ample evidence to support that. But unlike those in this world who seek to enslave people, becoming a bondservant or a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely voluntary. It's your choice. Jesus proved that he is worthy of your servitude by sacrificing himself on the cross of Calvary to save you from your sins, but he will never force anyone to bow their knee to him. That's your choice. And I don't know about you, but I choose to bow my knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord gives me lip service, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now, even as Jesus made that statement, again, he knows our frailties, he knows our weaknesses, he knows that there will be times when we fall short. But again, the idea is that a true believer is determined as much as humanly possible to do the will of his Father in heaven, to obey God rather than men. So it's a sad thing to think that there are many people out there who think they're good to go when they're really not. In fact, I would suggest to you that large percentages of people in the American church today are not currently bound for heaven. And that's a sad thing. There's great deception in the church today. And again... There's, the, the church world is mirroring the secular world. Because much of what I'm saying this morning, which is taken directly from the Bible, even with people in the church, would be labeled as harsh hate speech, right? Because they view the truth as hate speech. Because it's been twisted. The enemy has twisted their minds. And so when we talk about what God talks about, God rejects adultery, God rejects fornication, God rejects homosexuality, God rejects greed and all those other sins of which we've all been guilty in one shape or form or another. But today, if you talk about these things, there are many in the church who will label you a hater, a bigot, and so forth, proving my point that many in the church today are not headed in the direction that they think they are, and there needs to be true brokenness and repentance in the church of God today. People need to come to grips with their sin. Confession means you agree with God. When you reject the truth of God's Word, you're calling God a liar, and that happens to be blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Let God be true and every man a liar. God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm a sinner, please forgive me. To him, to this person, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, who does my will to the end, to him or her. Hope you're not offended by the male gender identification in the scriptures. Once upon a time it was okay to refer to the human race as mankind. But now that's not kosher anymore. Ladies, don't be offended. Feel free when he says to him, I will give power over the nations. It could be a her also. Do we all understand that? Okay. okay. God loves you too, ladies. I guess God's just, you know, he's efficient. He wasn't going to spew out the entire Old and New Testament making sure that it always had him and her in every place. Okay? But you're included. To him I will give power over the nations. What does this tell us? Believers will share in the millennial reign of Christ over the earth, which is coming soon to a planet near you. Those who submit to God's authority in this life will be given great authority in the next life. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, I don't know if I want that kind of responsibility, frankly. But when the time comes, you'll be very thankful that God has given you that responsibility. And it is a big responsibility. But God is going to allow those who are faithful in this life, who are obedient in this life, to be used to rule and reign over this earth in the coming millennial kingdom. Matthew 25, 23, his Lord said to him, well done, Good and faithful servant, you've been faithful over a few things. Remember we saw earlier where Jesus tells the the faithful remnant in Thyatira, hold on to what you have. That's being faithful over a few things. He says, you've been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now, I know uh, even as we were watching some of the RNC and my wife was saying, man, look at these people and all that they're doing and accomplishing. There were really some amazing people and many of them were just everyday people from every walk of life. But she's in awe of so many of these folks and what they're doing and what they've accomplished. She says, man, look at me. I, what have I done? You know, But she's done a lot more than she gives herself credit for. I guarantee you. But I mean, I think oftentimes... Perhaps many of us have those kinds of thoughts. Well, well, you look at some of the great people in our world, the scientists, the physicians, you know, the politicians. There are a few good ones out there. And all the different things that have been accomplished by amazing people. A lot of things, they just blow my mind. You know, the the architects, the construction people, building these giant skyscrapers and so forth. I mean, just think what we could do if we were really good people. Just think what we could do if we had a really good nation. (laughs) We might save the world a few more times. You're getting my little tongue-in-cheek here, I hope. But look, at God has given man an incredible ability to accomplish great things, and it can either be done for his glory or it can be done for their own glory. And when it's done for their own glory, it never lasts, does it? Enter into the joy of your Lord. And so, for those, I would say all of those, maybe just about everybody in this room, I don't know. I mean, God has blessed me tremendously. I give him thanks and praise every day. But sometimes I think, well, what have I really accomplished? You know, What have I really done in this life? And we've probably all had those thoughts. But if we are faithful here with a few things, whatever God has placed within our hands, be it much or be it little, that's, see, that's where people get kind of sidetracked because we look at ourselves. I mean, you know, Franklin Graham opened in prayer of the last day of the convention. I don't know if you saw that. So he must be a bad guy too. Why in the world would he open prayer at the Republican National Convention? Man, that Franklin Graham, I'll tell you. <laughs> no, Franklin Graham is the successor to his father, Billy Graham. He's arguably the spiritual leader of our nation. Not Joel Osteen, not Rick Warren, Franklin Graham. A man of great integrity who never hesitates to preach the gospel every time he's in front of a camera. So the point being, maybe, yeah, maybe maybe you do that. Maybe you can compare yourselves to a, a Franklin Graham or whoever, Greg Laurie. I don't know, whoever you look up to as a spiritual leader. Or maybe it's somebody in the world of finance or politics. Who knows? But here's the deal. The return of Christ, beginning with the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation period, and then the second coming of Christ with the saints, us, that's going to be the leveling of the playing field. That's when those who have exalted themselves will be brought down and those who have humbled themselves will be lifted up And even if you think that you've done little or nothing in this life, if you hold on to what you have, if you're faithful with a few things, and you persevere to the end, when Christ returns, you will be exalted and you will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And not because any of us deserve it, but because of what Jesus has done. Because of the love of God, the forgiveness of sin, the salvation that we have through the shed blood of Christ. So, don't be discouraged, dispirited, downcast if you think, yeah, wow. And a lot of us are getting older here this morning. I mean, I'm about to turn 40. (laughs) Or maybe the odometer's been rolled over, you know. But as we get closer and closer to the end of our lives and we begin to reflect and evaluate, maybe we say, well, I don't know. I don't think I've really done a whole lot. Well, as they said at the convention, the best is yet to come. All right, so also Revelation 3.21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So Jesus himself, as a man, coming into this world, Fully God but fully man. He overcame the trials and temptations of this life even to the point of overcoming death and rising from the dead. Now Jesus is seated with the Father on the throne of heaven. So he's our role model. He says, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne, we are going to sit with him on thrones. And we have this in Revelation chapter 20 beginning in verse 4. Actually it is verse 4. It's a long verse. I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. This is us, folks. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. So there's a distinction here. This is another little confirmation of the pre-tribulation rapture. First of all, we see those who endured to the end, who were faithful to God, they sat on thrones and judgment was committed. Then the tribulation martyrs come in, those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or Bill Gates' uh, digital tattoo on their hands. Oh, that's not in there. I'm sorry. uh... And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, another interesting thing. When I saw the emergence of ISIS and Islam and all the beheadings and stuff, I immediately began to think about the book of Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, it tells us that those who refuse the mark of the beast, who refuse to deny Christ, will be beheaded. But now here's another. At the Washington, D.C. gathering for Trump's acceptance speech, there were, again, rioters, protesters, right outside the area, they had a guillotine with a dummy of Trump and they decapitated Trump in the guillotine. And then some people came into Kenosha, Wisconsin a day or two ago and brought a guillotine. Now, isn't that interesting? Where is this coming from all of a sudden? Who ever heard of a guillotine in modern America? Pretty strange. Anybody who doesn't think we're approaching the end isn't paying attention. Those who were beheaded for their witness. Now again, I plan to be watching from the balcony. But these things are coming soon, folks. It's right at the door. Who had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Verse 27, he shall rule them with a rod of iron or an iron scepter they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels as i also have received from my father this is a reference folks again to christ's future millennial reign on earth he shall rule them with a rod of iron now jesus is in heaven right now but he is coming back with the saints and he will rule this world with an iron scepter revelation 12:5 she we'll talk about who she is in a moment bore a male child with a big C, not just any child, the child, God's son. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. The she here, by the way, is not Mary. It's the nation of Israel. The male child is Jesus, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. He was snatched up to God. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 1 at the end of the 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead? What happened? What happened? He and his disciples were there on the Mount of Olives and Jesus ascended into heaven, remember? That does, that's what this is referring to. This is the first coming of Christ re- revisited here in Revelation 12. She bore a male child who was to, in other words, in the future, rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God in his throne. So the rule and reign of Christ was postponed, if you will, for 2,000 years from the first century till the present time, but very soon he will be coming again with his saints to rule over this world. And I'd say we need it pretty bad, wouldn't you? It's interesting, so many people, I think, are very much opposed to the return of Christ. One of their greatest fears is that he will come back. And they're probably justified in that fear because we read here, they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. By the way, the Greek verb here translates literally rule as a shepherd. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations, to rule as a shepherd. John 10:11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Just like David, his forefather. David was a shepherd king and a warrior king. Our Jesus is a shepherd king and a warrior king. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But this expression, rod of iron or iron scepter, indicates the severity with with which Jesus will rule over this earth. You know, we've heard talk lately. I think it's all gone out the window. Now, for a while there, we were hearing about this zero tolerance policy everywhere. That seems to have gone out the window. We've gone from zero tolerance. It kind of depends on which side you're on, as we've talked about. Right? If you call good evil and evil good, then you, you get a free pass. If you stand for the truth, there's zero tolerance for that. But there will be zero tolerance for sin and disobedience against God. Contrary to what many people in positions of power and authority to believe today, we should not tolerate sin, lawlessness, There should be just true justice. We're hearing a lot about justice lately, right? But the modern definition of justice is that everybody gets away with everything. That's not justice. Jesus is going to make sure that this world is ruled over justly. Now you might think, why would this even be an issue in the millennium Won't everyone who enters the millennium be a God-fearing, Bible-believing, spirit-filled Christian? The thing of it is, there will be a remnant of human people alive on the earth at the end of the tribulation, maybe about a third. So the world's population is going to be reduced down to maybe two billion max. So all of these people who were for the annihilation of the human race should be happy about that, except they probably won't be here. The Georgia Guidestones, we've talked about those before. This is a real monument down in Georgia. Nobody seems to know who put it there. Isn't that interesting? And it calls for all these things that need to be done to bring peace upon the earth. Not one on the list has to do with the return of Jesus Christ. But the Georgia Guidestones call for the reduction of the earth's population. Are you ready for it? 500 million. Down from seven and a half billion right now. Somebody wants to pretty much wipe out the human race. We know who that is, don't we? And he doesn't live up there, he lives down there. So here's the deal those alive on earth at the return of Christ. Matthew 25, the separation of the sheep and goats. When Christ returns and we return with him, we saw the thrones. Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep will be brought into the millennial kingdom. The goats will be cast into outer darkness. Thus, there will be those who enter the millennium as mortals. We will be immortal. I like that, don't you? But there will be mortals that will enter the millennial kingdom to repopulate the earth. Thus, there will be children born during the millennium. In fact, the Bible says a person of 100 years old will be considered an infant. Remember before the flood, people lived up to a 1,000 years? Isn't that interesting? Because the millennium is a 1,000 years. So if people are going to be around for that long, there's going to have to be some strong leadership, right? So there'll be children born during the millennium. Now their parents, yes, will be believers. Only believers will be allowed to enter the millennial kingdom. But these believers will be bearing children who will be born during the millennium, and they may not love God. They may be prone to disobedience because being human, they will still have a sin nature. And this is where the iron scepter comes in. Revelation 19, 15. Now this is at his return. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So this... Rulership with a rod of iron begins the moment Jesus returns to this planet at the end of the tribulation. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. So this entire section is a fulfillment of the prophetic Psalms. And by the way, God has been patient with the human race for a long, long time. And so you might think this sounds awfully harsh, but those who are the recipients of this divine judgment will have had every opportunity to repent. Psalms 2, 8, and 9. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. This is the Father speaking to the Son. And the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So this passage here in Revelation chapter 2 is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 64, 8. Now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are potter, and all we are the work of your hands. So those who submit to the hands of the potter, he's the potter, we're the clay, It's he's the one who decides what we are to become in this life and in the life to come if we yield ourselves over to the hands of the potter. One day, we're going to be a beautiful vessel for God. But those who resist God, rejecting his son as Savior, and disobey his word will be dashed to pieces destroyed, judged, and punished forever. And we would not wish that on anyone, right? And that's why, again, it's so important to stand for the truth. False doctrine, false teaching, the Jezebel spirit, these will not lead anyone to salvation. Compromise, backing down, watering down the word of God, watering down the gospel will not bring anybody to a place of eternal salvation. We should not wish this judgment upon anybody. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? As human beings, we tend to look at some sins as being worse than others. And again, there are some people who seem to be worse than others. But in God's eyes, you're either a saint or a sinner. And even after you're a saint, you're still a sinner. You're just saved by grace. We shouldn't wish this judgment on anyone. And unless we stand firm for the truth, Many people will be lost. Sadly, many people will be lost because God has given every human being a free will and a free choice. You can choose to receive Christ. You can choose to reject Him. But just know and understand what the future holds for you if you reject Him because it's right here in the Scriptures. Nobody will be able to complain, God, I didn't know. I didn't understand. He's made it clear to anyone and everyone who has an ear to hear. He says, as I also have received from my Father. So, again, reminder, Jesus is the one speaking to these churches. And he received it from his Father. God the Father has proclaimed that Jesus will rule over this earth for 1,000 years. So, guess what? It is going to happen. It's not a matter of if, but when. And I think the when is very soon. Verse 28, and I will give him the morning star. Jesus referred to himself as the morning star in connection with his coming. At the end of Revelation, Revelation twenty-two sixteen, 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Peter also spoke of the morning star with reference to Christ's coming. 2 Peter 1, 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is Peter referring to Christ as the morning star coming again, rising in our hearts. And in light of these verses, some uh, draw a correlation here with I will give him the morning star as a reference to our participation in the rapture. Not only will Jesus give the overcomer the right to rule and reign with him, even more importantly, he will give us himself. We won't be just rulers serving some far away distant king. We will have intimate personal fellowship with him. He will be here with us. Reminds me of the song we sing sometimes, Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. Finally, verse 29, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so again, we should always pray that God would give us spiritual ears to hear and spiritual eyes to see what he's telling us what he's showing us in fact that's one of the prayers i pray for a couple of my family members that aren't walking with the lord i pray god open their blinded eyes and open their deafened ears that they might see and hear the truth it's a good prayer to pray for people who are lost so here it is jesus says i've laid it out now it's up to you to hear what the spirit says to the churches so we've looked so far at the backslidden church, Ephesus, who had lost their first love. We've looked at the suffering or persecuted church, the martyr church, Smyrna. We've looked at the worldly church, Pergamum, the unrepentant or compromising church, Thyatira. And now Sardis, the dead, dying church next week. Revelation 3.3, as we get into this next chapter. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Again, seven is the number of perfection or completion. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive. And as I've told you before, we can see elements from every one of these churches down through history and also in operation in the church today. This is very profound, what he's saying right here. You have a name that you are alive, but you are dead so we'll get into that. It's not a good opening statement, is it? And interestingly, Sardis is the only church that received no commendation from Jesus. Every other church, he opens with a commendation. And it's always easier when you have to bring a rebuke if you can start with something positive, right? Jesus gives us that example. Don't come right in guns a-blazing on somebody. Find something good to say. And then if you have to bring a correction, a warning... They'll be more prepared to hear it. But with Sardis, he couldn't do that. Nothing good to say about this church. Wow. Not a good opening statement. We'll get into that next week. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's awesome. It's powerful. It's dynamic. It is our spiritual food. Lord, you told us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. And so we know that's a lot more than just physical food. The most important food that we can partake of is the spiritual food you've made available to us in your word. So help us, Lord, not just on Sundays or Thursday nights, but every day of the week to come to your table for that meal that you prepared for us for that day. Thank you, Lord, for feeding our spirits that we might be counted among the overcomers who endure to the end and are saved. And not only saved, will be exalted in your millennial kingdom to rule and reign with you for a thousand years upon this earth. And we pray, Father, in closing, come quickly, Lord Jesus.